a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here, ladies and gentlemen. This is Don't Burn the Sacred Text, your official Clashing Sabers podcast for books in the canon. That was the really convoluted way of saying that, but we're going with it. I'm just rolling with it. This is live. We're I'm not editing it. And with me is my co-host. She is more virtuous than a handmaiden. That's all you need to say. It's Lindsay. I really hope you feel that way after don't, tonight's discussion. Don't, no. I do, I do. Just fair warning. It might not hold true. This is not going to go the way I think. <laughs> oh, we'll see who ends up with the high ground, that's for sure. Well, it's not just a one-on-one this time, though, because we have somebody else in the duel. And this is not an episode of Clashing Sabres, which is, makes it a little bit weird because it's all the Clashing Sabres hosts. We've got Drew here with us. Guys, I read a book. I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> no, no, you listened to a book. No, no, no. I actually read you this. You read book it? I thought with you, my I, eyes and everything. Just, <laughs> look at you. He can be taught. Was it, it was it tough? Did you miss the pictures? Well, you know, I didn't really understand what was going on without them, so <laughs> had to stop have a lot to sound it out. Not the best for this discussion. <laughs> We need to get him the picture book version of it. <laughs> Does it come in like the little tiny golden book edition? That would be very helpful. Oh, that would be nice. This would be a really difficult story to put it. Sorry, I just went all teacher. I'm like, hmm, how could you turn that into a children's book? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, what book are we talking about today? We're talking about Queen Shadow. Yes, we buried the lead there. But we're talking about Queen Shadow. Uh, this is going to be a full spoiler episode. <laughs> Spoilers, Padme dies in the end. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> we, we definitely need to cover that because on the very first page, <laughs> I thought it started with our funeral. Me too. Oh my, uh, it's all right, it's we're gutsy. in it. We're in all it. All right, we'll get there. We'll get there. No, let's go there. Let's go there now. Yeah, I want to go there now. Let's do it. So I don't think I told you this, but I bought it um, at Barnes and Noble. I went on my lunch break at work, and one of my friends from work came with me. And I go to pay. She turns around to look at a different book, and by the time she came back up to the front, I was already done with the line. I had already paid. I'm standing in the doorway of Barnes and Noble reading and I'm getting choked up and I put it away. She goes, are you okay? You good? I go, I, go, I don't think I can make it through the first page without crying. <laughs> okay. But speaking of our journeys to getting this book, I, I have to talk about a real hero because I had to go to two different stores to get this book. So I stopped by the Target by wow. where I work, hoping, you know, maybe they would have it. And, of course, they didn't because it's a garbage target. <laughs> so then I go over to Barnes & Noble, which is another, like, 30, 40-minute drive from where I'm at. Get there. I go to the young adult section. There's no Queen Shadow. Okay, maybe they put it in the Star Wars section. So I go to the Star Wars section. No Queen Shadow. 
So I go to the front, I go to the back, nothing. So I'm like, all right, I'm not, because with Thrawn Alliances, I went to four different stores before I finally found it because people did not have it out. So I go up to this lady at the kiosk and I said, and I was remaining very calm. I said, ma'am, do you have Queen Shadow? So she pulls up on her computer. She's like, this da-da-da series that I'd never heard of. And I was like, no, Star Wars. She goes, oh, okay, hold on. She looks it up and she gives like a weird look on her face. She goes, hold on, I'll be back. And she walks to the front of the store. And then she crosses back over. She goes, hold on. Goes to the back of the store. Comes back. It's got to be here somewhere. Goes to the young adult section. (laughs) Right? So at this point, I'm like, thank God I drank that extra coffee because that's the only thing keeping me going right now. Um, And she comes back up and she looks it up on the computer again. She goes, I think maybe they didn't put put it out. And so she goes in the back and she comes out with four copies in her hands. So I got the first copy from that store because of this hero, and I, and I just thought she deserved a shout out. But oh, that's awesome! Yes, it was vi- it was very cool because I was gonna be very <laughs> upset because the other place I go to get books, the other Target I go to, has the rodeo going on right now. And if you are not from Texas, you don't understand how insane it is to have a rodeo going on a mile from where you live. But it takes forty five minutes to get to the streetlight. Um, so there was no hope of me getting it. I think I'm going to be an Amazon order from now on because I don't need that stress in my life. Interesting, interesting. Well, let me tell you guys about this new thing called the Internet. And there <laughs> are awesome services that you can get. Like there's one called Hoopla, which is powered by your local public library. And I got it the day it came out on my phone for free. <laughs> the audio I didn't have to talk to anybody. No, I don't know book, if this whole words internet and thing is going to stick around, though. I mean, it's yeah. new. I get it. But it's a I, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> this one time. Okay, so let's circle back around to the beginning of this book. Because this was really ballsy, beginning with the whole funeral scene. That's not a funeral scene. What, a, what were your overall impressions of starting the book this way? Drew, start with you. What did you think? Are we talking about like the the lakeside scene? The lakeside scene, yeah, the very okay. first chapter. Yes, I had a hard, I mean, I had a hard time understanding exactly what was going on right away, which I think is kind of the point because the author knows what the audience is going in equipped with already, and so I think she's playing off of that information, and so the description is, you know, Padme is floating and she's got her hands on top of her and she's got flowers in her hair and all of us are like, oh my goodness, are they starting with the funeral or something like that? It turns out it's a pool party of some kind. Um, it's a couple years after the end of The Phantom Menace. I think we determined later on it's four years after. And it, it kind of, it's supposed to take you by surprise, but I, I thought it was an interesting way to kick it off. It kind of grabs your attention and I think it leads into more interesting things. It took me a couple chapters to really figure this book out, but I'll, I'll tell you, this is probably this is probably my favorite book of the new canon. Wow. wow. Yeah. I'm and not gonna lie. I think you might be the only person to say that. I well, I think uh, the reason why I like it so much is that it's not a Star Wars book. It's not a Star Wars book at all. This is a high school graduation book, basically. The whole story is basically what happens when Padme graduates from high school and goes to college. I mean, 
it's beat for beat the same kind of a book that you would find in in in, in a non Star Warsian universe, and so it's the least Star Wars book there is. And I think that was so gutsy and bold. Um, I think it went really really well. Um, I'm probably one of the only people who liked it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think so. I think the the general reaction that I've seen has been that people are pretty pleased with it. And actually, right before we started recording, uh, E.K. Johnston, the author of the book, sent out a tweet. It's actually number four on the New York Times bestsellers for young adults right now. Um, so congratulations to E.K. Johnston. I think, yeah, I think you're onto something. I, for me... That's why the new canon works more so than the the old legends or it, in my personal preference is because it's giving us these different style books. It's not just all like sci-fi adventure. Um, this is more of yeah. like, like you're saying a coming of age story. And I feel like we needed that for Padme's character. So I appreciated that a lot. What did you think, Lindsay, about kind of how this book was put together and approached? I think I'm actually the one in the minority here. I wasn't really a big fan of this book, to be honest. Overall, I think there's a lot of things to like. Um, so, Drew, I'm happy you kind of phrase this as the, like, varsity blues of Star Wars. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that there is a time and a place for those types of stories, and there's definitely elements of that that I did enjoy. In my head, though, maybe this was me just not managing my expectations well, but I was really hoping for more of almost like a political thriller. I wanted that finally, you know, Aaron Sorkin Star Wars story. Yeah, this is not the American president. Ew. Um, no, no not by a long shot. There are se sequences where it really wants to be, but man oh man and and it, it, while i say this is probably my favorite of the new canon this is not the best book of the new canon i think that's um that still belongs to either bloodline or leia princess of alderaan i haven't quite decided yet but but you're absolutely right there are sequences in this book where you're like oh i can see where we tried to be like you know that political thriller or maybe it tries to be more like scandal or something like that having never watched an episode of that show i have no idea um brandon what did you think about it overall though I mean, I really liked it. Um, it's kind of like mid-tier for me, which we'll get more into. Um, I think the thing that was most difficult for me was I felt like there were a lot of plot threads that were woven in there that just kind of got left. And then we don't see them play out in either Clone Wars or in uh, Attack of the Clones. For example, the, the whole wanting to end slavery thing. Um, I think was a super powerful thread and I, and I think it would have been better if either Sabe went and was completely unsuccessful or Padme went and was completely unsuccessful and got like deterred by it and so then moved on to something else. What happened or, or, or how it was presented is more like, oh, I want to go rescue Shmi Skywalker and save all the slaves, but... I got to forget about that for right now and move on. And it just didn't feel uh, very complete. There were things like um, her relationship with Clovis, you know, in Clone Wars, at least I had the impression that they actually were an item at some point, And I thought that, that this was going to lead to that. And it just kind of dropped off there, um, even though I liked what they did with it. But this felt like the first book of a trilogy to me more than it did a standalone novel. Mm. So... I think that's kind of where I stand. I love 
I love it as a book, um, but I think there are things that it struggles with because it's trying to tell. I feel like to some extent it's trying to tell 10 years worth of story in the one year, one, one and a half year story that this is. Yeah, that's interesting. You're right about the slavery rest or the abolition movement that she tries to get involved with. So Padme kind of sends Sabe out to Tatooine to try and start this whole end of slavery movement. And I think the point of that chapter, it's like that chapter eight, chapter nine area of the book is not necessarily to accomplish an actual goal. Like the author isn't trying to say, this is what her mission is from now on. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's Padme testing the waters and seeing what it takes and, and the immensity of the situation that she's in now, because she spent four years as queen where she, she's elected and then she gets invaded. Like, very, very quickly. And so the entirety of her administration boils down to this war effort and, you know, saving her people, bringing them out of that and, and fighting that off and trying to restore a little bit of civility to their planet. So she's only had this one massive major challenge and it has consumed the entirety of her public service for those four years. And it worked like she's there's she's undoubtedly successful at those efforts. So when she tries and takes what she the lessons she learns from that is that Whatever needs to be done, I can do it. I've I put my mind to it, and me and my team can go get the job done. Those first few chapters show us that's no longer true, that she's got to broaden out her base of support, include other people that she doesn't know, and take risks. So while I would have loved an entire book on Sabe's six weeks on Tatooine as she's trying to infiltrate the slave ring and she's hunting for Watto's shop and all this stuff that goes on on Tatooine, it was a thrilling adventure. The point of the book is not that actual thing. It's the lesson that she's supposed to learn that says you can no longer do this by yourself because it's n you were never really by yourself and you're trying to play – the same game or you're trying to play a new game but by your own same rules and actions and it's not going to work that way right but i think it would have worked better if you either had padme go there before she became a senator and learn that lesson and so then when she goes into the senate she takes that lesson with her you know so you have it more direct or just something to to kind of put a a stamp on the end of it because all I kept thinking was this doesn't really connect with Attack of the Clones because when she goes back in Attack of the Clones, there's no reference to like, I've been trying yeah. to do this. You know, that's, I think that's, that's a really good point is the problem for me more than anything. It's not her actually like desiring this because I think that's very in character. It's the fact that this book is, I mean, I think one of the strongest things it does is make these connections without blatantly going like, hey, look, here's this connection. Um, yeah, exactly. And that was just the the one major place. It's really like my one big complaint about the book. Hmm. I would say I have a few more complaints than one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. I'm excited about this. I think to sum up both of these points, uh, my big issues with the book, I would summarize it in two ways. And both of those ways really rely on a certain page count, okay? So when I'm reading this last week, I put the book down for a minute. I was on page like 263, I think it was. And I remember looking down at the page number, putting the book down and thinking to myself, I have no idea what the plot of this book actually is. Yes. I, I can tell you what's happening and I can tell you 
what the themes are and what all these characters are learning, I couldn't possibly tell you even still what the plot of this book is. It just seemed like a whole bunch of little side missions. And I do think you're right, both of you, in that the point of the book is really not the plot by any means, but the point of the book is to develop Padme and have her learn these lessons and show what kind of person she is and what kind of leader she is. But my second issue is that there's nothing that the last 350 pages of this book do that we don't get in the first 10 pages. I think that the lessons she's learned, she learned very early on in the book and nothing was overly difficult for her. Well, I think that's one of the things you get when you have Padme being pretty much fully realized in The Phantom Menace. You know, she yeah. she comes to age in The Phantom Menace and then Attack of the Clones is just a, a continuation of that. And then, you know, leading into Revenge of the Sith is the tragedy of, of her fall, just the same as it is Anakin's. So when you get to this 10-year time gap, it's like, okay, well, here's this character who's already exactly who she's supposed to be uh and so like if you're trying to write a coming of age story which this is which this is you know you have a problem there versus like if they had gone the political thriller or uh you know the action adventure direction i think you can kind of take it in other take it into other places um and, and show different parts of padme yeah, and I think I want to. I'll chip into that to say, you're Lindsay. You're right that there's not an overarching like, like plot line of you know it doesn't open up with the threat. There's no conflict. There's no resolution and no denouement at the end. But really, the the book is to me it has to kind of it hinges kind of around the title of the book itself, Queen's Shadow, where the whole book is her growing out of the shadow of her former life. To me, and so. It starts off where the whole gang has – they're reporting the, the election results of the new queen, and they all have this decision of what they're going to do with their lives going forward. And she's going to continue in this life of politics after she's been asked to stay on in this new role as senator. And by the end of the book – and I wish I had written it down. My notes, my notes diminish greatly in uh, detail because I was like, I just can't stop reading. i, I got to finish what happens next. Um, so like the first nine chapters I have dissected and, and crazy things, including a, a cameo by Dex's Diner, which I hope we get to at some point here. Oh, we have um, to get to Dex's Diner. <laughs> the tragedy so of Dex's Diner. Um, but I think that to me it was less about what the character is having to – this is hard to, hard, to, hard to articulate. The things she has to do is not really the purpose of the book. The, the purpose of the book is who she has to become. And she has to kind of grow out of her her old life into a new life. Kind of that, you know, I hate to keep using the coming-of-age story, but it's more like American graffiti where you, you've got the scene at the beginning where everybody's just graduated high school and they're literally talking about what they're going to do, you know, in the coming months and years with their lives. And, and this is kind of the conversation that every, hopefully, every group of friends has you know, after their senior year in high school where, you know, some of us are going to college, some of us are going into the workforce, some of us have no idea what we're doing. And it was kind of neat to track it that way. But y you're absolutely right. There's no, like, existential threat. There's no, like, it doesn't open with an attack on a planet or anything like that. So there's not the same structure that I think we would normally be used to in, in similar books. Um, but 
that difference right there is what stood out for me as one of the a positive because kind of like what Brandon said at the very beginning, we don't have that. In another example, in, in the rest of the Star Wars, we don't have a good example that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, you know, Brandon, your point was that you know the old legends was like this one massive war story for years and years and years, and you're absolutely right. There's you know a beginning, middle, and end, and you don't have these character development books that really kind of explain why these people tick the way that they do. And that was really that was really kind of refreshing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I say like you know that maybe it wasn't exactly what we expected and to me that was a good thing um because we don't have a lot of padme content so we kind of have built up this character of who she is in our heads and and i like seeing that actually realized on the page uh in, in some canon form i feel like what we get here for the most part is not anything we didn't already know about Padme, but more of a validation of what we, what we always believed about her. Um, the one thing that stood out to me that was kind of different from what I expected was she almost to some extent begrudgingly goes into the service as a Senator. It's not exactly the right way to put it, but she doesn't, she does it because she believes she has to, not necessarily because she believes she wants to, you know? And, and it's that what do they need versus what do they want um, kind of situation that we have, particularly uh, in, in Last Jedi, Drew, like you mentioned in your article recently about <laughs> DJ. Um, I felt that a lot in here of kind of that tension between, well, what I want to do is be like my sister and settle down and just have this simple life, but like yeah. nobody else can step in and be who I'm supposed to be, right? Which is in a, in and of itself a connection to Anakin, you know, um, because he wants to be something more than what he can be or what he needs to be. Could you even though make the argument that she went into the Senate, you know, as you said, because she has to, not because she wants to? I would almost view it as a weakness and I would have to really think this out and hash this out to convince myself totally. But my <laughs> gut tells me that it's almost a weakness because she wasn't able to say no when asked. And it's almost Ooh, her character flaw that she didn't have this set plan and she didn't already have this goal like her handmaidens did. So her inability to refuse this offer was i think almost a character weakness that's a really good point yeah that is interesting and if we take that and we kind of expound on it then does anakin's approaches on her and attack of the clones change you know maybe does she she love him quote unquote because she feels she has to and not necessarily because it's what she really wants you know because we see here she considers and we see in the deleted scenes in attack of the clones she wants this this family life and so does she see anakin as kind of the means to that end kind of like the senate was the means to the end uh of her improving the galaxy for naboo and and for everyone right uh not necessarily in like a a derogatory or a bad way with the best of intentions, but you know, there, there's that connection there. No, I, I don't, I don't know that it necessarily lines up and tracks with all of that. I mean, I know you give a lot more credit to the, the connection between their two different approaches between Anakin and Padme than I ever do. Um, I don't think there's, there's that much similarity between those kinds of things. I think Padme, 
you know, clearly she did not have a plan after her her royal administration. I have no idea how to describe these I mean, things. She Their terms for government do not make sense to me at all. She does call um, it a monarchy, even though it's elected, yeah, so it's not really a monarchy. So, and then and later on, she gets to appoint a represent. So the queen appoints a senator, and then the senator gets to appoint a representative. I don't think anybody in here has taken a government class in their entire lives. <laughs> like, none of that makes sense to me at all. Like, use different terms or something, but I feel like anyways. it's like uh, in the office in Dunder Mifflin when the, you know, the assistant to the regional manager, the assistant <laughs> assistant to the assistant. <laughs> deputy, deputy, chief of staff. There you go. Like, <laughs> so that, that kind of stood out to me. But I, I don't know. I think uh, Lindsay, I think, has a good point with her lack of planning. Kind of, It should stand out now that you mention it. It's like everybody else on her team, like all of the other 17 handmaidens, all had a plan all had kind of like a next step that they were going to pursue as soon as they were released from service. Um, but Padme didn't, which is kind of odd. And, and maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing because maybe you know people in those high executive uh, offices, when they leave that office, what do you do next? You know, It's kind of a, a, a tough, open-ended question. And I think that's kind of why Padme sends Sabe off to... Or who is it she goes to Tatooine? Is it Sabe? Yeah, it's Sabe. Okay. Sidebar, it is very hard to keep track of who is who in this book. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. But, however, there's a caveat. The way the author explains their naming conventions, how the handmaidens change their name when they join the the queen's team, is really, really clever. Um, And I was really... I, I was very appreciative of the fact that they, they put some time and some effort into, you know, Sabe's name wasn't Sabe when she was born. It was something else. It was T-S-A-B-I-N something. And all of the handmaidens changed their names when they became queen. And the implication there is that Padme changed her name when she became queen as well. But I don't know that that's ever really you know confirmed or anything like that. But I thought it was really neat how all of them were willing to change that small element of their identity. They're simple, something simple as a name, but something also so as important as as a name. That individuality, you know, is kind of halved almost for all of them. It was really kind of neat. But man, I have like I had to go back and be like, okay, who is which one? One of them's a martial artist. One of them's so a, many a biologist. <laughs> one of them's. A, like who are these people? It's like no eighteen-year-old girls that I have ever known in my life are you know have their life thought out this far. Well, but the the identity that you brought up with the naming convention, uh, I think, is really important in the story. Right, a coming-of-age story is always about like who are you going to be? Like what's what kind of person are you going to be once you move out of the shadow of your parents and move beyond you know your childhood? And I thought the how how E.K. Johnston dealt with Padme's identity and, and Sabe's identities in particular was really powerful. And the whole idea of, like, the different voices that they used and the, yeah. the Amidala face, you know, almost referring to her as, you know, Queen Amidala or Amidala as somebody different from Padme, I thought was really, really powerful. And once again, I think it comes back to the whole Anakin Vader thing, too. You can make that connection there, even though... I don't think it was written for that. I th- think it was written purely to to show the identity crisis that was going on with Padme and with Sabe. But I think that's kind of a an interesting little uh, connection that you can make. But 
what did you guys think about kind of the the whole identity crisis that was going on and the different voices and and just all of that that plot thread even though Lindsay won't agree that it's a plot thread <laughs> you need to have a plot to have threads of it. <laughs> what do you think about it, Lindsay? What do you think? I I will say the relationship with the handmaidens is probably what I enjoyed most about the book. And you know, I want to call back something, Brandon. You had said earlier that you feel like this should have been the start of a trilogy. I would actually say, if anything, it should be the cheers to everyone else's Fraser. I think that this would be a cool way to introduce us to other characters who we could then spin off of and get maybe some one-shot comics, one-shot short stories of and explore their lives a little bit more. But I do think that that identity crisis with Padme, with Sabe and the other handmaidens was probably the most enjoyable part. And Drew, when you had said you took the queen shadow title to mean you know she's growing out of the shadow of her former life and finding a new life i was actually pretty stunned to hear you say that because what i took from the book was really really and truly more about the handmaidens and how they're constantly in the queen's shadow and maybe now we, we have a little glimpse of what's going on in that shadow absolutely you, you're not wrong i think that's definitely part another subsection to it and, and yeah. you're, I it, think that, it works on a lot of levels i'm happy you brought that up yeah their stories i thought were much more compelling even though we got them in much smaller doses um i feel like they were distilled to a lot more of a core essence than padme's story unfortunately um i was kind of thrown off when we dumped the first group of of yeah. handmaidens and got yeah. an entirely new i don't think i ever realized those weren't the same group of people um and that was tough for me to kind of wrap my brain around because they had just spent years together. They trained together. They worked together. And they lived together. Like in that first chapter or two, there's some pretty serious relationships between uh, all these different characters. Yeah. And they're and then, all so well developed. They really are. They're individual. They have personalities. It's, it's hard to tell like who's doing what when their names are just visually all the same. But then you, you literally dump half of them and you almost never hear from them again. Um, and then you have like a couple new ones added to the mix, which I thought was interesting because it kind of presents the challenge of how do you let new people into your, your sphere of influence? How do you add new friends to your circle? And how do you build new relationships when you spent four years um, living and breathing? Li literally the same person, like the six or seven of these people have been the same queen for four years and now that's completely shattered and, and has to be rebuilt in this new image and their plans don't work the same their schemes of body double switching in and out of don't work the same nothing works because again they're trying to use the same tools but uh, for the wrong thing and she has to learn you know padme has to learn and then teach all those things to everybody else i would love to know more about sabe's story now l let me ask you about sabe she's the one kira knightley is supposed to be in phantom menace is that yes. right yeah yeah okay so i'm all for more kira knightley let's be honest <laughs> you know. uh, i think not wrong. well uh, the book the book leaves it open-ended, too, at the end, because the book ends with the, the same funeral on, on Naboo, the actual funeral this time, and Sabe is left to her own devices. You know, 
CEO Bibbles basically says, what are you going to do now? And she, you know, basically turns to the camera and goes, I don't know, you know, roll credits. Well, but so, she, she also talks with Bail Organa. Yeah, about and, so it seems like she's going to be joining the rebellion or well, something. Well, that's like that. my that was an idea that I had. Could Sabe be a fulcrum agent? Because I, she, I so. don't know what that means. Do I know what that means? Like Ahsoka was fulcrum, Cassian. Was oh a fulcrum, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Uh, because Cassian's a fulcrum. Yeah, he was. I mean, we haven't seen anything with him being a fulcrum agent yet. But yeah, he's. It was no. In, he, he actually, I did, um, I just went to Orlando to see my parents. We went to um, downtown Disney or Disney Springs or whatever it is now and did that void with the virtual reality oh, from Star man. Wars. And they, he was, he was okay. fulcrum in that. So, you know, okay. the fulcrum symbol would come up and he would do his thing. But yeah, uh, Diego Luna did a whole bunch of stuff for that and they had him um, confirmed as fulcrum in that. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys ever get the chance, you guys have to do it. So then two two things. (laughs) Do we do do we think that Sabe could become a fulcrum agent? Because to me, she has the skill set required. And two, do we think we can get some Sabe in the Cassian Andor series? Drew, why don't you take that one first? Oh yeah, um I think both of the I think it's plausible that she you know, plays that kind of a role in the rebellion. Will we actually see that happen? Uh, it's a longer shot. Uh, I would, I'm going to take a guess and say probably not. I don't think that's something they're going to roll into it just because I feel like if they've announced the, the Cassian Andor series for the, what is it? The Disney plus streaming thing, something like that. Yeah. Um, and this book just came out like a week or two ago. I don't feel like that's, I mean, it's not impossible. You, you might have a character who meets the criteria to, to be Sabe on the screen, but they may not ac- explicitly link those two things together until Pablo Hidalgo gets bored on Twitter one night and then puts those pieces together for us. <laughs> I don't know. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't anticipate it, now. But I think, well, actually, L- Lindsay, you go ahead and give your opinion first, and then I'll circle back around. You- um, I do think we're going to see her again. I hope and I wish it's in the Cassian Andor show. I think it'd be really cool. But more realistically, just because we can't be sure right now how much time has passed since then and what she would have been doing, I wonder, let me throw this out. Do you think we could see her in Jedi Fallen Order instead? Because figure this picks up right after Order 66. Maybe she's, you know, maybe what Bale is having her do is help find the remaining Jedi and put them into hiding. That could go really well with her, you know, slave freeing ministry background <laughs> and skill set. Mm. The Jedi Underground Railroad. <laughs> it's not actually a railroad. Um, <laughs> my my thing with that oh my is gosh, no, Brandon, it wasn't an actual railroad. And, oh my god. I, I know, that's what I said. Listen, uh, I I think the problem with that is what we get with Bale in uh, in Ahsoka, to me, makes it clear that he doesn't think any other Jedi survived other than... Oh, uh, good point. You know, he's very yeah. surprised when Ahsoka is still alive, and I don't think that's just a surprise because... Of, because of who it is. Yeah, and, and, and then I also think... Uh, you know, he, he's not aware that Kanan is a Jedi in those first uh, few episodes of Rebels. So I think 
that kind of gets a little bit shifty. The reason that I think, and this is what I was going to mention earlier, that it could be really cool to see Sabe is because of what we got with Sache, which is very confusing. Um, but she was the one who stayed behind during the Battle of Naboo, and she now has the scars all over her from basically being tortured. Um, and to me, number one, she's a badass and the real hero of Naboo. Um, so let's just make that very clear. But I think by adding that little thing in there, you're also showing what these characters can go through. So if you have Sabe come in as a fulcrum agent, then you can have somebody who the Empire can catch and abuse for lack of, you know, for a less graceful way to say it. Um, and you, you, you believe that she could stand up to that kind of punishment um, and not give up the, the secrets of the rebellion. Uh, and I think maybe if you have some kind of attachment there to Cassian and you develop some kind of platonic or romantic relationship, you kind of can add something to that story. Eh, sure, why not? If it gives us Kira Knightley on screen, I take it. <laughs> I don't know about that, but we'll go from there. Uh, uh, I, I'm very low maintenance on this. So I think <laughs> on on that note of making connections, I think the the thing that this book does better than any uh, anything else that it does is make those connections to other things. Um, and, and what I really appreciated was they didn't hit you over the head with like, hey, remember that character from Clone Wars? Here's that person. And hey, you remember Count Dooku? Yeah, he's in here too, but we're not going to say it's Count Dooku. Wink, wink. Like, E.K. Johnston did a really great job of respecting the audience and trusting the audience and realizing that if, if somebody's reading a book about Padme, they've most likely watched at least the movies and probably Clone Wars. Uh, and, and they get the idea. Uh, I, I appreciated getting Mina Bonteri in there. Uh, I thought the, the situation with Clovis was really good. Um, Bale and Mon Mothma, that whole relationship and the fact that they didn't start out all buddy-buddy, I thought was a really interesting uh, and uh, unexpected way to go about that. So I think that it really succeeded in that tying in everything else and making it feel part of that uh, that universe. What did you guys feel? How, what were your feelings on kind of the connections that it made, Lindsay? I thought that it was definitely really well done. And that's why my hope for this book is that right now, I think it really does stand out for, like, like Drew said, it's the only kind of coming of age graduation story of its time. And I think the other reason it stands out is because right now it's also the only prequel era book that we really have Master and um, for now, for <laughs> now. Right? But so that's, close. that's why I think one of the reasons why people are really digging into it and really enjoying it is because it's the first one of the prequels that we've gotten. So my hope for it is that as more prequel books start to come out, this gets pun intended, overshadowed. And it it really, I want it to become almost a more of like a really deep, well-developed reference book 
for a lot of the characters in Clone Wars. Because I think that's kind of what I took away from it at the end. When I put it down, I wasn't really thinking about Padme as much or the handmaidens or the the relationship. I was thinking more of it's really cool to get more of a background from these Clone Wars characters regardless of how much I knew about them before or where they ended up in the story. Yeah, I I agree. And I like that they kind of set up the separatist uh, dynamic and even the, the rebellion, kind of the, the seeds of that, uh, you know, some, what, 20 years, 15 years later, uh, I thought was really powerful. Because, again, they didn't hit you over the head with it. It wasn't like... Hey, you know that Clone Wars show that you all like? This is what got it started. It was just, hey, this stuff has been building for a while and things are simmering over. And, and there was a lot of reference to the fact that the the Republic wasn't working the way that it was supposed to. Drew, besides the fact that the government doesn't make any sense, what, you're kind of our political go-to what did you think about the political aspect of this book and kind of what it added to the Republic, the separatists and, and all those dynamics? Um, I felt like it was a little too much. I think it was a little heavy handed um, mainly because I didn't, I didn't buy a lot of the need for the rebellion forming committee. I didn't need to see the high council together that early on. Um, it didn't make sense to me why okay so bail organa first enters the story kind of on this like weird basement level literal a basement level complex in the senate chambers that's scheduled for demolition or something and padme is sent down there by her droid and she thinks the droid's been reprogrammed somebody's out to kill her um which i'd like to circle back on the unbelievable amount of paranoia in the naboo system but we can talk about that in a minute um she encounters Bail Organa down there, and instantly you start thinking about rebellion connections. And then you see him with Mon Mothma and a couple other people whose names I don't remember. And and you said like Mina, who's who's the other one? Ben Bentari or something? Bon- Why Bonteri. are we supposed to know who that was? She is Lux Bontari. Am I supposed to know who that is? Clone Wars. He was kind of like the is he is he not love interest? Uh, then he's also in Rebel Rising to not Rebel Rising, uh, Inferno Squad. Thank you, Inferno Squad. Okay. Oh, shame on you! I know. Yeah. No, I'm embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed. Shame. Yeah. <laughs> I, the worst. I wasn't terribly concerned about with like how it was setting up the separatist factions going forward. I didn't think that was um, as important. I think if they really if they wanted to do that, they could have done that a lot different but i didn't really care for a lot of the rebellion forming i would rather i liked if they had leaned into more of the senatorial aspects of things uh there's a sequence in there that kind of stood out to me as kind of as 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 exemplary of the problem that i'm i'm trying to get at here very poorly um there's the party sequence where where bale and mon mothma are trying to have their little chit chat and it and and Padme has kind of no 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 I'm I'm thinking of the wrong sequence it's the pa- uh, the party in Chancellor Palpatine's office where they're trying to make small talk it's the it's Padme's first real encounter with other senators outside of the actual Senate chamber well and she doesn't do a good job you know they're they're speaking everybody's speaking very cryptically to one another and and it came off as 
people who are trying to act very sneaky and like with subterfuge and they're tr- the, you know the words they're saying are intended to be sneaky and you imagine everybody looking at each other with shifty eyes whereas that's not really what would have been appropriate what would have been appropriate would have been a, a little bit more lighthearted small talk connections in the back of the mind everybody's thinking about these duplic- duplicitous things but they're not actually doing it on the surface level like I hate to go back to Aaron Sorkin because if anybody has listened to us and has not yet listened to or watched everything Aaron Sorkin has ever written, you need to go do that because it's important for your life. Sorkin has made a career out of kind of writing things on multiple levels, but the top level is always very um, – it's both economical and it's very functional. People are there to get a job done. Now, people are there to get a job done, but they're also there to get ahead of the game themselves. And that's a mastercraft because he's able to write it out where the two people who are in conflict with one another are working on, a, on solving a problem, but they each are also trying to make sure they all come out ahead. That level, that, that essence of multi-level intrigue doesn't exist in this book. It's all subterfuge, but it's all played on the face. And that's not how subterfuge works. So that was kind of problematic to me. I liked when it got into more of Padme found this cause of the people. There is a planet with a natural disaster and there were problems getting the resources to the right people. And the Trade Federation pops up and says, how are we going to pay for this? And then there's there's fighting back and forth. That was done much more successfully, I think, because that's more of a real, a believable situation where you have a need and you can see a solution, but you know, there's only two things that stop people in, in, in uh, elected official government capacity from doing anything. It's either politics or money. And so the trade federation stands up and says, this time it's money. You know, who's going to pay for this? Where's the money coming from? Who's going to reimburse us? They don't have the credit. They don't have the resources. They then they go back and forth. That was done much more efficiently. I think from a story perspective than some of the other, um, like the party sequences just really fell flat because I feel like that's where they were trying to build the coalitions to say, hey, look, we got all the people who are going to be the Rebel Alliance in the same room. Isn't this cool? But they don't really have anything to do other than talk about how, I don't know, one day they're going to rebel, I guess, maybe? I'm not I mean, really sure. We don't know against what, but one day. But doggone we'll have, it, I'm against We'll it. have something. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it, it felt like, you know... It, an army with no cause to fight for yet, but man, they're going to fight. Yeah. It, it was kind of like, I think we we're supposed to get the impression that they were kind of getting wary of chancellor Palpatine, uh, and maybe kind of noticing this separatist movement starting and we're preparing for that. Um, but the fact that we don't get bail and Mon Mothma in the prequel trilogy, actually dealing with that, um, I think is where that's kind of, kind of that, that's kind of my issue a little bit is because the group that prior to Attack of the Clones, the group that secedes from the Republic is a group of systems and planets that doesn't like the way the Republic is doing things. But in this book, the people who don't like the th- the, the way the Republic is doing things are Bail Organa, Mon Mothma, and Padme. Uh, I guess she goes by Amidala still. So it's our gang who ends up being the rebellion who doesn't actually support what the Republic is doing right now. And I feel like that's the wrong order of operations here. The people who should be saying the Republic doesn't work, this is broken, it's it's never going to get any better, 
are the people who are should be seceding from the Republic. But that's not what Bale and Mon Mothma end up doing. They should be the ones who are saying, we have to stick with what the Republic can do. We have to work within the system. We have to stick to our guns here and support the Chancellor in order to get the right things done. And I don't feel like that was a concrete enough message. But there is... Okay, so I had this quote marked because I think it's really important. It's on page 307 if you're playing along at home. Uh, and it's Bale talking to Padme. And he says uh, they're talking about uh, democracy and her kind of trying to get the support for her movement. And Bale says they'll stall you. I know it is a horrifying situation, but you can't fight every evil in the galaxy. And Padme's response is, evil? I fought evil and it was easy. I shot it. It's apathy I can't stand. And I think that's kind of what we see Bale and Mon Mothma um, kind of fighting against. There's this apathy that happens in Attack of the Clones that will slowly give Palpatine more and more power until he is the Senate. Um, But also there's the corruptness of the bureaucracy and having things like the Trade Federation, having representation uh, as a a political entity, you know, and and things like that. Um, I think that's more what they're they're pushing back against. But again, that's such a minimal plot thread in the prequels. You know, it's kind of like, hey, this is happening over here, but we don't have enough time to explain it. So we're going to just kind of ignore it kind of thing. Um, and so the connection, I think, that was trying to be made he- is is kind of weak, not to the book's fault, but just kind of to the, the well, overall it, Yeah, it goes, it's kind of an underlying problem with some of the ancillary materials to the Star Wars movies in general is that you're playing in the sandbox uh, that George Lucas built. And, I mean, those rules don't always work. You know, so you you have to spend a lot of time crafting your narrative or your novel or your story or whatever it is to fit those things that are on screen and you those things which you cannot change so you have to build a structure which fits into that and that's not going to always be successful the old legends had problems with that the new canon has problems with that that's not going to go away unfortunately you know how i did think it was successful in doing that though drew was they they kept bringing this up over and over and over again and i was so surprised because i had never really thought of this for the big moment that it was, but they keep going back to the scene in Phantom Menace where there's this queen from a planet who really had no place in the Senate. And I didn't realize just how unusual it would have been for a queen to be in the Senate, especially such a young one. And for her to, on her very first time there, you know, move from this vote to remove the highest ranking official and basically set off this whole chain of events. And that's why when she gets to the Senate, so many people don't trust her. I yeah. never really put that together and that never really clicked in my mind. So I'm like, I like that they kept bringing up just how important of a moment that was. I completely agree. I love how they, they cast that as a problem for her. Yeah. Like, yes, this solved her issue, but it caused so many other things to go horribly, horribly wrong. And that was really, that is a really clever use of working within this, the rules that somebody else created. I loved that. I, I, I agree. That was awesome. Yeah. And it, it, like you said, it took what had already been created and kind of expanded on that. But I think you had to have 
you know, Padme not be accepted into the Senate with open arms. And so how do you make that happen? Because Padme is a character that really everybody seems to like. Like, even Palpatine, I, I think to some extent he kind of respects Padme, you know, um, even though he hates that he has to. And so that is the thing that made the most sense, and, and I think it was a really crafty way of doing that. The other thing I kind of wanted to bring up that ties into The Phantom Menace is the situation with Qui-Gon. Mm. This book pretty much makes it clear that Qui-Gon... I mean, I shouldn't even say pretty much. It makes it clear that Qui-Gon knew exactly what was was going on with the, the body double and everything like that. I personally had always had that impression watching the movie because of the, the, the scene where they get down on one knee and, and ask the Gungans for help. When Padme reveals herself, he kind of gives this little smirk, like, I was right. Um, that's the way I've always interpreted it. What are, what are y'all's opinions on, on that? Did you think Qui-Gon knew uh, prior to reading this book? Drew, I'll let you start. Oh, okay. Um, I Yes, I think he knew back on the ship when they were landing on Tatooine. When he looks, um, he looks Natalie Portman square in the eye and, say, and says, the queen doesn't need to know. And, and I think that's him saying, if you're going to play along with this ruse, I'm going to take advantage of it. Um, I think that he knew a long time ago. And honestly, I, I, you'd think anybody with the force would be able to detect something like that. The, the book make, creates this impression that Obi-Wan Kenobi never figured it out and that somehow he just kind of skipped past that, which is kind of strange. But yeah, I think Qui-Gon knew. I like the way this book handled Qui-Gon a lot. Um, let me back that up. I, I appreciate a lot how much this book handled Qui-Gon Jinn and the way that, that it treated him. Um, he's cast as the, the hero of Naboo who gave his life to save the, save the entire population. And it, the whole planet honors him and respects him and his sacrifice. And, and you know, I think at some point something – Padme says something along – or thinks along the lines that she's not the only person on Naboo who lights a candle in his honor or something like that. That was really touching stuff, and I was, I'm glad that they included that. I'm so happy to hear you both say that because my answer was yes. I did always think that he knew, but to be totally honest, it was more so just because Qui-Gon was my favorite character. So I wanted him to know. <laughs> so, so I'm happy that you guys could use a little bit more logic than I was nine years old and I really like Qui-Gon Jinn. Oh, because he's cool. He can't be dumb. <laughs> Right? Yeah, he can't be I like him too right? much. Yeah. I set the rules here. I don't think that's inappropriate at all in this okay. situation. Good. Good. Well, that was my reasoning, and now it's right, but now I can actually make logical arguments <laughs> to back up nine year old Lindsay's thoughts. Awesome. I mean, that's that's perfectly fair. You can go back in time and, and let nine year old Lindsay know it's all I'll give okay. her a nice little high five. Well, <laughs> hey, we got this. Don't worry. <laughs> Just hold out 20 years. You'll uh, be vindicated. It'll be okay. You can make it. Lindsay, I wanted to get your opinion on uh, one thing in particular, because as we were kind of reading this book and we were all kind of texting back and forth a little bit, uh, you made it clear that you it wasn't quite meeting your expectations. And then a little bit after that, I got to the part where Bale invites Padme mm -hmm. to Alderaan. And you have the scene with Padme and Briha, which puts 
both of Leia's mothers in the same yeah. room. And that's, Tread carefully, because this is my favorite been, scene of the whole Yeah, book. right? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I love it, and I love what they're doing overall with kind of the Padme-Leia connection, knowing that they're probably never going to mention Padme's name in a movie again, despite the fact that I think that's a terrible oversight. In Leia, Princess of Alderaan, we see... Leia wearing one of Padme's dresses and you get that connection there. Um, and then now you get this connection between her two moms, her two mothers. And I, yeah, I agree completely with Drew. I thought it was the best part of the whole book. Lindsay, what did you think about that connection? I that thought it was there? touching, but overall pretty useless. To be honest, there's nothing that really happened during those, that chapters that chapter chapters um, that really changed the course of the book or the course of the story. It really did feel like just a little pit stop. And then we're back to the main event. So for me as nice and as touching and cool as it was, it didn't really do anything. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let me tell you why you're Please. wrong. Then. Like I, like uh, I said, we'll I did. For the record, <laughs> I did say before we started recording, I really can't wait for you guys to change my mind. I want to like this story so badly. So go ahead. Yeah, let's all sit back. Let's all sit back as uh, Brandon mansplains a book about a, a, an entire book about <laughs> women to us all. <laughs> this will go well. <laughs> Lindsay, I, I want I want to get your your opinion on the relationship be- between these two women. It'll be wrong, but I want it. Well, Lindsay, let me let me tell yes, you how women exactly. work. Okay, Brandon's gonna help with this. Go. <laughs> uh, no, I thought that what E.K. Johnson did here was show us that the way Leia was raised by Briha Organa is exactly how she would have been raised by Padme. Uh, you know, you have this. I want to be a pacifist, but the reality is sometimes we do have to stand up and come to arms and, and draw a line in the sand, which we get them drawing that line in the sand in Princess, and, uh, Princess of uh, Alderaan. So to me, that was kind of the message there. And really what stood out the most to me was I just said to me twice in like three seconds. That was unnecessary. But um Seeing that connection and, and you had the moment where Bria says, you know, um, that's the benefit of being an elected monarch. You know, my my kids have no no choice but to go into the monarchy, you know, to go into politics. And of course, we see that with Leia. But then we also see her in bloodline walking away from politics and realizing that's not really who she is. So it's all this crazy dynamic I think that's going on where it's informing Leia's character a lot but it's also informing Padme's character and it's also giving us some solace in the fact that even though Leia never knew Padme she does have that connection to her and I mean I'm going to stretch a lot here but I think even that scene in Return of the Jedi where she says you know she only remembers bits and pieces of her mother maybe there's some kind of force connection there the forces connecting the the idea of these two moms because they are so similar in their personality so there that's why you're wrong thank you for teaching me i I will say i like that i like that thought process i do i still don't know if it was totally necessary in the book but i like where it leads 
I, I tend to agree that it doesn't have the greatest degree of importance. Like it's not a necessary plot beat that the story has to hit. It's not like there was a need to go to Alderaan for any, there's no thing that they have to pick up. There's no bit of information they acquire in order to solve a mystery or anything like that. It is just, it's pure character development and the opportunity, like Brandon said, to kind of put this to people together who are going to share this, uh, another connection uh, indirectly with one another. And I think part of what Brandon says is true that it, it, it helps the audience understand a little bit of the handoff to say that, you know, uh, Leia's adoptive mother knew and could appreciate her biological mother, and that might help. Ha- that may have helped influence the way in which Briha and Bale parented Leia. Um, I don't think that's entirely necessary since we have a whole book about how the two of them parented Leia, and I think that's perfectly fine. Um, part of me thinks that the only reason they went to Alderaan was so they could have like a little vacation break, so that. I'm going to look at my notes. Who is it that had the conversation? It was Padme and Sabe have the breakfast conversation. Yeah. Because she's the one. They have a conversation about the boyfriend who's not a boyfriend, but they're sleeping together. But it's nothing serious, but it could be serious. Um, that whole relationship was really, really weird. And I feel like that was the time they they, they took to try and straighten some of that stuff out. Um, and and I that. I really like that uh, the whole time. I'm like, I, I ship it. I ship it. I, I, I'm just saying. Okay, sure. I don't think I understand how people use that term anymore. I know a hundred people <laughs> try to explain it to me. Like, <laughs> because when you say that, you're saying in your head, the two of them are together, right? But they're in the they're together yeah. in the book. I, it doesn't have to be in your head. It's right there on the page. But no, no, no. I'm, I'm saying that I think that they they fit together. That they are. Who should be together? Like Han and Leia. I ship Han and Leia because they should all right, be yeah. together. Yeah, I, I was right. I, I just, don't care about that at listen. all. Um, <laughs> you should I've, listen to more starships. <laughs> um, anyways. <laughs> Can we talk about the Yuz and Vong? Okay, That's something so... more up my alley. I'm good at that. <laughs> oh. Nobody uh, uh, I might be there with you, Joe. Yes! I got one. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this book, like I said to me kind of felt like the beginning of a trilogy which as we're talking kind of got me thinking we've got clone wars season seven coming out do we think that this book will have any impact i guess or connection with season seven of the clone wars drew uh probably not um from what little information i know it sounds like season seven is going to be focused around this siege of mandalore event i keep hearing about but know nothing of so I don't really, I mean, Padme's probably going to be in the show, surely. You know, I'm, I'm sure they'll give her something to do, but will there be, I, I mean, in order for this book to have a direct connection and influence upon events in that particular season of the show, it would have to deal with like one of three different things. It would have to be either one, slave trade on Tatooine, two, the natural disaster on the planet whose name I can't remember, or three, Clovis comes back for something else. But doesn't Clovis die in earlier seasons of the Clone Wars, or is he still a living? He's still around in the later ones. Didn't somebody get thrown out a window? Didn't yeah. Anakin kill one of the boyfriends? Who's not a boyfriend, I know, but... No, he that might be what I'm thinking pretty badly. Of. He doesn't but kill him? He doesn't, he doesn't die? Yeah, he doesn't actually kill him. He doesn't, yeah, like, he doesn't Clovis doesn't, like, sacrifice him. himself in some kind of, like, redemptive blaze of glory that people are so such a fan of? <laughs> in, in episode Definitely nine? Definitely not that. Uh... 
Return of Clovis. That's the that's the title, guys. That's why we haven't found out yet. It's Return of Clovis. JJ has said he's going to connect it to the prequels. That's how. That's how. <laughs> Solved that mystery. Spoiler alert. celebration now. We got it done. Uh, you know what would be really cool is, and, and I don't know how you would fit this in there because I kind of think the, the arcs we're going to get are, of course, Siege of Mandalore and then some of those... Uh, ones that we got the unfinished animation of, like the Utapau arc and the Bad Batch arc um, that was released on StarWars.com. But let's say those aren't set in stone and only Siege of Mandalore is pretty much set in stone. I think it would be really cool if they canonized that scene in Revenge of the Sith, um, or rather the deleted scene, where we see Padme and Mon Mothma Mm -hmm. and Bail Organa talking together right because oh okay season seven yeah. of Clone wars originally was supposed to cross over past the revenge of the sith oh. timeline so i and we know siege of mandalore um crosses over that timeline because ahsoka is sent to mandalore because anakin and obi-wan have to go save uh chancellor palpatine so my running theory is we're going to actually see order 66 happen from ahsoka's point of view um, and and that's going to lead to her running off, and then we'll get what leads into uh, the Ahsoka novel. But that opens Wait. up, you know, you can play around with things that are happening in Revenge of the Sith, uh, you know, and kind of show those side but, things. Well, I'm confused, because during Order 66, she's not part of the clone army anymore, though. Right, but in... The Ahsoka novel and the way the the arc is going to go for the Siege of Mandalore, because Dave Filoni already talked about this on a panel uh, a few years ago about how that story arc was going to get started, is Ahsoka comes back to help out um, because she's dealt with Maul and things like Uh, that. Um, And Anakin and Obi-Wan are being called off to to save the Chancellor. So what we're going to see is... Ahsoka being given command of the 501st, not as a Jedi, but just as a as a commander, and that's where they're gonna to paint their uh, helmets with her head markings, which we saw in the Clone Wars saved uh, poster. So, so we have that crossover. What do you guys think? Do you think we could see that scene that we all love canonized? I think that's more likely, and I would definitely pull for that. Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> If it gets a more well, Kira Knightley. Let's be honest. Wait. No, I'm, I'm, I, I try not to be like, this better happen the way I want it to happen. Oh, I want to see this. I want to see I'm, I'm much more, uh, I'm much more comfortable just being like, okay, you guys have given me the premise of the thing you want to put out. I'm just going to wait till it's out. I'm not going to worry about figuring it all out ahead of time. That's just too exhausting. And you're just going to be wrong. And that just <laughs> makes people angry. And there's enough angry people on the internet. We're good. Are you really a Star Wars fan if you're not a little angry about it? <laughs> oh, I can be angry about things. Can we talk about Panaka in this book? Because that kind of drives me up a wall. Oh, I want to hear that. Yeah, I want to hear that also because I like I think it's interesting what they did with him. I just don't like him as a person. Um, I think Quarsh okay. Panaka yeah. is the problem. He is the one who sets in motion a lot of the issues here because of his overdeveloped sense of paranoia. Now, I have a mildly developed sense of paranoia in my personal life, and it keeps me safe. You know, it's why I look left, right, left, right every time I'm going to cross the street 100 times. 
I don't train my kids with body doubles from, you know, for anything. I don't, I think it was really neat that in the book here, they go into great detail about how the dresses um, are elaborate and boisterous and loud for a reason. You know, they're equipped with like uh, communication stuff and jamming signals and the fabric is like blaster fire repellent and it's really kind of cool. I think he sets up Padme for so much failure by making her a target. His overdeveloped sense of paranoia and, and giving them the tools and, and creating this whole handmaiden system and body doubles invites that kind of trouble. Like I feel like that's kind of what makes Palpatine aware of her of, of Padme's susceptibility to this whole trade negotiation problem is because she is already primed for this kind of conflict. Like she has got this paranoid sense built into her from day one and it's because of what panaka has trained her to do there's a couple times in this story here where they talk about where these procedures and protocols come from there is no example given that i can remember and maybe i I missed it maybe i blinked maybe i skipped a page um where a a monarch or an elected official was assassinated these these implement these systems and tools and whatnot were implemented based solely on his fear that they could be. And by doing that, it creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, if you think back to a completely separate movie, The Dark Knight, where Commissioner Gordon says, you know, we get armor-proofing, armor, you know, bulletproof vests, they start using our armor-piercing rounds. You know, it's a problem of escalation. And that's occurring here. And I think part of the problem at the beginning of the story is that it's so heavily installed. And part of Padme's journey is to come out of that protective shell. She, they stop using the body doubles. She's going to be this one particular character 24 hours a day. She takes responsibility, but she can't shake it all the time. And I feel like we're, we're told that because she instantly suspects the Trade Federation of being the ones who tried to kill her with this whole droid and construction site bombing thing which is never followed up on in the book she is instantly suspicious of them she publicly accuses them of trying to assassinate her and there's no further information given and the only reason that we have to think that it could be them is that they took over her planet now it's not unreasonable that it would be the trade federation, but we have no evidence one way or the other. And that's kind of problematic. And that's, that's a a problem in Padme's character that she herself tries to identify and correct. She has a line where she says, I wish I didn't think all Nemoidians were like this, but based on my experience, I do. So good job, Panaka. Yeah. Big dumb dummy. And Panaka. (laughs) (laughs) Panaka becomes a moth, you know, in the Empire later on. So I think you're absolutely right that the paranoia created a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, but with his character, I think the characterization was spot on because we can see why he would go on to support the Empire and not just oh, yeah. Chancellor Powell. He makes sense know, as a character. Like, he, we, he he's a very... He's he a... Just, he's a yeah. um, a, he's completely constructed in a way that makes sense. He's he's devoted to his own per, his own personality, right. um, much like DJ's character that kind of looked at it in the article to say he he exists completely faithfully within his own um, worldview, and that's fine. It's just a terrible worldview, and it has horrible consequences for the people he's responsible for. So what you're saying is he's Whoa. your Mace Windu. 
Whoa. <laughs> See, we were doing fine. We were tracking. And you just had to go off the rails like that. You had to start with them. That's what, God. That's what I um, did. Speaking, of, speaking uh, of errant Jedi who deserve more credit than they get, um, Deepa Balaba appears in this book for a, a, a great total yeah. like 45 seconds. Yeah. That was interesting. That was um, pretty cool. She doesn't do anything. She's literally there, I think, because they're contractually obligated to have each Jedi appear in each Star Wars book at some point. I don't know. Um, you know what's funny is I just uh, finished reading Cloak of Deception before I started this, and she's in there also completely doing nothing. Uh, she's just there as a part of the Jedi group so that's there. So it was kind of... It was it was very ironic. I'm like... Does, I. I had to like kind of check myself and remember that Depa Balaba is Caleb Doom slash Kanan Jarrus's master, and that she's actually like. I good think at it's her okay in this because I think it's okay her. in this book for her to be the kind of standoffish weirdo that they, she is portrayed to be because I think that she, you know, we're looking at this from a non-force user's perspective, you know, and so they're going to look at the Jedi as a little bit off base anyway, and I think this goes to uh, support that and kind of cement that idea. You know, the average human being is going to be aware of the Jedi Order and that they are basically the, the intergalactic FBI, but they're not going to understand why they are the way they are. And I think this kind of does a bit to reinforce that. Yeah, I agree. Lindsay, what did you think about Depa Balabas? I liked her because it really gave... Like you said, it gave Padme the non-force user kind of that broader view. You know, I can't imagine having Qui-Gon Jinn be your first real impression of what a Jedi is and then meeting someone so vastly, vastly different. Yeah. You know, and she and she seems to have been so off-put and so creeped out by that whole interaction. But just, you know, thanks to herself, you know what? They're the Jedi. It is what it is. I'll I'll let them do their thing, and I'll just benefit from it. Um, so yeah, it was it was weird, but kind of just like the rest of the book, I enjoyed it and thought, why did we just do that? <laughs> that was cool. But... Uh, I have I have another entry for the why did why was this a thing we have in the book? Um, Ooh, okay, Dex's diner. Yes. Of all the as soon as they said diner on Coruscant, I was I, like, Don't do it, don't do it, don't yeah. do it. And same. No, same. I was like I was t I totally no. wanted them to do it. Oh you my god, I was so happy. Thing. But it was bad. I I honestly I was kind of disappointed when they confirmed that it was Dex's diner because I wanted to just kind of Yeah, I, I like it. it. They did in that, or she heart. did. The author did that in like one or two other places where, like, you're a, you can infer what she's talking about. Like, there's a point where you know Padme uh, is instructed to appoint a representative, and she goes, "I have just the creature in mind." Obviously, she's talking about Jar Jar, but she has the decency not to say his name out loud. So that was great. Ooh, Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, but in Dex, that the thing that bothered me about Dex's diner is is kind of actually related to that very same concept. When Padme, or is it, oh, no, it's not Padme. It's Shade. No, it's not Shade. Um, what's Sabe? <sighs> this is tough. Um, Sabe is leaving. I'm not sure if he did that on purpose or not. Sabe is leaving the diner, and the door is held open for her by 
a prepubescent boy with sandy brown hair cut in a bowl. Are we not supposed to believe that's Anakin? Yeah, really quiet you know, for a moment. So I, re- I remember that part, well, and I remember thinking, that's supposed to be someone. I don't know why I didn't really assume yeah. it's Anakin, though. But Anakin doesn't have the bowl cut at the end of The oh, Phantom Menace. Oh, you're not wrong. So is it supposed Four to years be later, though. Anakin? Quick, when have you opened the book? Or Well, but... <laughs> Is it supposed to be Anakin or is it supposed to be an allusion to Anakin because Sabe is the one dealing with the, the slaves I don't, and Tatooine? And I, I figured it was I figured it was Anakin because we know that Anakin is apprenticed to Obi-Wan. We know Obi-Wan has an affection for the diner. I figured it was just the two of them getting lunch on their break or something at Obi-Wan's favorite watering hole, and it's just Anakin who happens to hold up. And I think the the, the joke there is that. They're supposed Sabe and Padme are supposed to be interchangeable, but they're no longer doing the body double thing anymore. So Anakin could have looked at Sabe and thought it was Padme had this event occurred earlier in the story, like while they were still in, you know, switching places and whatnot. But I was like, oh, this this is this is feeling a little bit out of place. I don't think I like this very much. Yeah, uh, I hope it's. I- I think if it's supposed to be Anakin, it doesn't work. I think it, it really is supposed to just get us thinking about it. I Anakin. hope that it's not that? Anakin, but I just can't think of who else it would be. It was but oddly right. specific. They, they, yes, know? it was very weird. And, they, and it was really interesting how every time Padme would pass the Jedi Temple, she would think of Shmi. Um, and you know, Shmi Skywalker is named, like I think, twice in the book. And, you know, she sends Sabe to yeah, Tatooine in order to find her specifically. Like, so she clearly has a remembrance to the family, but Anakin's name is never brought up once in the book. And I think that was how they were supposed to, like, I think the author was trying to sneak him in there just a little tiny bit. And I think that was the method they, she wanted to do that by. Yeah, but she does kind of allude to him more directly. There's a quote in there um, when... I'm trying to remember exactly when it is when she's talking with Sabe and she's uh, Sabe mentions, um, I don't want to be callous. So in a way I am protecting myself too. And this is the, the breakfast scene we were talking about earlier. And then Padme says, I don't know what I do. I've guarded my heart against everything for so long, always aware of dynamics and the flow of power. I've been lucky to find so many people who understand that and give me, give me that space. I'm afraid that if someone breaks through, I'll let them and it would be catastrophic. That to me is a direct reference. Oh, sure. Oh, no. no uh, oh. And it doesn't. That, that's Clovis. She's what? talking about Clovis at that point. Yeah, absolutely. I no. thought it was Anakin. Shut your mouth. No. I took it as Anakin. No, that's definitely no, Anakin. I mean, she doesn't truly let Clovis that's, in. And that's think, because she makes that statement. She's afraid that letting him in would be a catastrophic thing. She doesn't remember Anakin until he, she sees her, you know, 10 years after the end of Phantom Menace. No, because she, no, no, she no, no, still no. has I'm the, ne- she still has the necklace, though, that uh, he uses. So she definitely still thinks about him. But, I Brandon, I think it's more that she's yeah. foreshadowing what's going to happen more than, you know, she's thinking yeah, about yeah. Anakin at the time. Okay. No, no, no. I, what I'm saying is I think E.K. Johnston yes. was thinking yeah. about Anakin with that quote, and that is the, okay. the reference to Anakin more so than the the little boy at the diner. I think the little boy at the diner is a reference more to the slaves and, ha- and, and is kind of a manifestation of Sabe's 
emotion uh, okay. and her feelings. So you of think failure, she sees the she sees the little boy, and she is reminded of her inability to to fulfill the mission of of freeing the slaves. Yes. Padme's dialogue in the breakfast sequence. The author intends the audience to think about Anakin and their future, whereas Padme is focusing on somebody else. Okay, I can kind of go with that. Yes. Um, halfway through that, when we're talking about the the necklace and the Chapur snippet, I think every time she touches that, it reminds her of the slavery issue. I don't think it's necessarily tied to Anakin. I think that she has kind of said, this is representative of my time and what I learned on Tatooine, not necessarily the little boy who gave it to me. So it's complicated, I guess. Turns out. It is. I mean, it could certainly be both. It could be that she really equates the two of them and she personifies what she learned on Tatooine through Anakin. Oh, that's a good point. She, Yeah, that's not... not unreasonable. See, this is yeah. one of the reasons I like this book in particular is because all of the, these viewpoints, none of, the, none of them are necessarily in conflict with one another. They're not 100% overlapping, but there's support for each person's interpretation. And honestly, it probably reveals more about us individually than it does about the actual text. And that's something I like about this book, Ooh. as opposed to other entries in, in the Star Wars universe, which are so cut and dry where it's either there or it's not. And there's not a, lot, not a lot of this latitude allowed for personal interpretation and application. Boom, full circle. Yeah. <laughs> yes, this is the best. <laughs> I think this book is going to be, this is going to be one that we, when we revisit it, we're going to realize, oh, there was this that I missed. And, and I think there's a lot in there that with just one read through, you don't necessarily uh, get all of it. Because like you said, it's up to your interpretation and because of that it's going to be kind of impacted also by what you're going yeah. through at the time in your life you know um this one so, this book really yeah this I'm book inspires me and, to go back and read princess of alderaan again because i feel like there's I, I think that there's that. a lot that will change i don't know if it'll change or, necess- or improve or how it will affect but i feel like it will affect the way in which we read princess of alderaan uh, something stood out this time that I, I don't know that I've ever remembered before, but Padme goes has gone through before she was queen. She went through that junior senator program or something like that, yeah. like junior legislative camp. I don't know, but is that the same one that Leia went through in Princess of Alderaan? Is that the same kind of program? I think so. Yeah, is yeah. that what we're supposed to make that connection to? Yeah, I'll go with I, yes. I yeah, so. I'm with Lynn. Guys, I really like this book. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you like it. I like it. It's. Uh, well, I was not expecting to like this book like at all. I thought this was going to be like, re- like I, th- I really thought this was going to be like one of those first person perspectives, like Dear Diary. Today was my first day on the Senate chamber, <laughs> but it really wasn't like that at all. I was, I was pleasantly surprised. It's not perfect, but it's good. So, <laughs> so to kind of round us out. Um, I wanted to add this new segment at the end of the show, and I didn't tell Lindsay or Drew about this, so I'm springing this, this will go well. out of nowhere. <laughs> yes, it always does. So if we could get one spinoff item, one spinoff piece of material from this book, whether it be something in a TV show, something in a movie, books, comics, whatever, uh, radio drama, take it wherever you want. If we could get one other thing to go along as a companion to Queen Shadow, what would you want it to be? I'll start to kind of give an example. I would like a series of like young readers, like 
12 to 13, you know, Adventures in Wild Space, Jedi Quest, uh, reading level books about the Handmaidens and just a series of Handmaiden adventures. And you could go to each of the different Handmaidens and have a book for each one of them and kind of what's going on for them when this book is happening. So that's my idea. Lindsay, what other Queen Shadow material? I would like, in the style of home improvement... Oh my. <laughs> That's it. Stop. We're done. That's it. I would like a Tim the Toolman Taylor show with Padme's dad. <laughs> that is not the way I expected this to go. Because I was but thinking I originally, it. like, I do want what you had been thinking of, but you obviously said it. And we had the Padme Age of the Republic comic come out that really started to touch a little bit more so that was a really nice one off and then obviously we already talked about um what sabe would be doing with bail afterwards after the funeral so i'm gonna go with her dad as tim the tool man taylor seems like he had some fun projects he was working on disney plus <laughs> make it there happen. you go bob Iger. You just you your salary <laughs> the possibilities are endless not the cinematic universe I expected oh, to happen. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting new and unique uh, Star there's Wars something stories. Right. What would we call it? Neberi's Star Wars story. Uh, sounds uh, sounds okay. interesting. Gee, right, I don't know. Um, yeah, if we don't get a story about Sabe as the you know spy undercover, you know the female James Bond and the Rise of the Empire series let's pretend we're not going to get that because we've already talked about it um uh by the way i like the name rise of the empire for the casting andor uh, but that's oh, yeah. not related continue uh, i'd be down with that well i mean the rise of the empire is a very particular time period uh you know starting with yeah. revenge of the sith for a few years after that so um, by the time you have a death star i don't really think you can say your empire's rising it's pretty much there um i digress uh yeah this is gonna be this is gonna be dumb because you're making fun of me for picture books earlier. Um I would really like a <laughs> That's a I great would way really like a multi volume graphic novel adaptation of this story with a focus on two things. One, the opportunity to flush out certain elements of the story that were not quite given what they were due i.e. the assassination attempt, a little bit more Trade Federation. Um, I would really like to have given the natural disaster crisis that takes up the last third of the book a lot more attention, so I'd like that. The second thing I really want is because this is just because I'm dumb and I need help with pictures. There's so much description of the wardrobes and the fabrics and what they're doing and the appearance, and it's really enjoyable to read. I don't think I understood any of it. Um I know what a t-shirt is and I know what a pair of jeans are. And that's really the extent of my, my fashion awareness. So if we could get that kind of stuff in a visual medium, I might have a better understanding of what in the world she's talking about. I, maybe that part of the book's not for me. That's fine. I'm cool with that. I've got, you know, Tom Clancy novels where it's three pages describing a perfect headshot. So that's fine. But I think it would be kind of cool to see some of this stuff in a graphic novel format. That could be interesting. Yeah, I was kind of the same way with the 
the dresses and stuff, I'm like, all right, I know it's really fancy. Yeah, I don't feel like I could I, I could properly appreciate else. it because I don't know what those terms are. Like, and I don't like, <laughs> like I don't I know, know if they're, they're Star Wars red. terms. Red yeah. is good. There, there, there are at least eight colors I am familiar with, but beyond <laughs> that, it gets fuzzy. So I, I don't know that this is this is completely on me. This is not the the author is clearly um, really enjoyed writing those sections because number one, there are several of them, and number two, they're in detail so and they're really they're well written. They're not bad because it's not distracting, and you understand what the purpose of these things are. Like when she walks into the party, um, the big gala party where she climbs a tree later on, which is really, really strange. You know, she, there's, there's a statement where no matter who was looking at her, they all caught her good side, something like that. I don't know. So the effect was, was there that she's meant to look very impressive and very attractive, but there's also a technical description about why it's attractive. And I have no idea what any of it was supposed to mean. Like there's sparkles. (laughs) And I was like, I, I mean, sparkles are pretty. Um, but beyond that, my my ability to meet the material halfway, I failed in that miserably. So that's me. Well, on this week's episode of the Star Wars show, E.K. Johnson was the guest, and she mentioned how it was important for her to take uh, the wardrobe and weaponize Absolutely. it as she did because she wanted to take something that was looked at as a disadvantage and not only respected and in, in its beauty, but also to show its function and its usefulness. Yeah, so, she really gave uh, it a power. I think she absolutely she gave it a power, a strength, a purpose, and it really added to uh, yeah. a, a greater understanding of what is going on. And I, I really appreciated that. Again, like I said, it's me being dumb and I don't understand, you know, the cut of a dress. <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm sure she looked real pretty. But that's about all I got. <laughs> I just defaulted to like what she wears every in Clone time. Wars. I was like, uh, <laughs> I remember that outfit. So, all right. So then, our final closing segment, where we always finish off the show, is our rating of the book. And this time, to kind of mix it up, we're gonna do <laughs> headdresses. So from a scale of one to five, Lindsay, how many? I gotta keep it book? at a two. I'm really happy that you guys love it, Ooh. but it just it missed the mark for me. Wow. All right, Drew, how many headdresses that you don't know what they look like do you um, give I know what a hat looks like. That's true. I'm going to go, can we do halves? Can I do four and a half? Is that cool? You four and a half sounds good. Want. I this Again, the, po- the points don't matter. I think this is one of, this is my favorite book of the new canon so far. This is not, I don't think this is the, the best book. I think, yeah, again, that's that's kind of tied bloodline princess of Alderaan right now. But this is this is fighting it out for whichever one of those comes out bloodier is going to this one's going to knock out and be a come number two. So I'm going to say four and a half out of five. I give this a solid three headdresses uh, with the potential for a fourth. How is it possible? Well, I'm the I one who likes this that- the most. <laughs> <laughs> You're the opposite. The world is ending. Um, I'm really scared. Yeah, pretty much. Nobody's going to be able to see episode <laughs> nine. It's it's all ending. Uh, I think that when I go back and revisit this book, I'll get a lot more out of it. I tend to that tends to happen with me when I revisit things because the first time through, I'm very much like, all right, what's everything that's happening, and I'm trying to catch everything. Whereas the second time I go through, I kind of know what's going on and can kind of catch those easter eggs and illusions a little bit more that's 
something that happened for me with uh, Princess of Alderaan. I loved it the first time, and then when I reread it, it became even more so one of my favorites of the new canon. Um, and I think that this one won't ever be one of my favorites, but I think the more uh, times that I reread it, the more things I'll notice uh, and appreciate it a lot more. So bottom line is ignore Lindsay, <laughs> trust the men, because we're right. No, I think, wait, no, wait no, am I doing this wrong? Right? Am I? Bad. No? Is oh, that? Random. Oh, wait. Um, um, uh, I don't know what to do. I'm so lost. I'm so scared. The internet's a scary place. Anyways, Queen Shadow. It's really good. You should read it. Even if you come out on Lindsay's side. I think it's worth, I think even Lindsay would agree. It's worth reading uh, to get a little bit more Padme because we don't that ever I will agree. Padme. Because Padme is awesome. Padme in episode just nine. The, That's all I'm just saying. Just the name. Just once. That's all I'm saying. I just just one time. Oh, they you go know, back I, to Dabu and there's like a little gravestone, little marker with her name on it. That's all you get. That's all you get. I'd be fine. I'd be. I'd be more than fine. I would. I would take it, even though she has a very nice like tomb inside the castle. And they, I bet you Nabu has like the the catacombs that they have in Rome. You know, <laughs> it's real fancy. Anyways, that's another podcast. That's another podcast, not ours. I'm going to end this before uh, I embarrass myself anymore. So, ladies and gentlemen, keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and dadgummit, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text. 